I've decided that loving myself is the most selfless act of all. C'est la nuit. Pluie. Les lumières du cinéma se répartent. La foule sort, se disperse. Hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry to Your Ears. I'm your co-host Lulu and uh, I'm with Tom. Hello. And we have our special guest today, Maggie. Hello, how are you? Hi, yeah, Maggie. really good. Um, I just need to ask how I say your last name. Boyer. Boyer, okay. So, yeah, Maggie Boyer is an American poet joining us today. Um, they're a poet, a cat parent, and the author of various poetry collections, including Ungodly and When I Bleed. They are an essayist with a focus on, de- on endometriosis, chronic pain, and trauma. They have been featured in many magazines. I won't get into the depth now, but you can read them all. Uh, they were the editor-in-chief of the Lariat newspaper, a quarter-finalist in Brave New Voices 2016, and they were Marilyn Miller Poet Laureate. You can find their work on Instagram and TikTok at maggie.wright. And we're talking to you today about your new book, Allergies, yeah. uh, poems about love and grief. Congratulations for getting this book out. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, so it's out actually in a month, 7th of, 7th of February 2022, so it's you can pre-order it now. 2023? Um, yes, it's yeah. a new year. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't switched <laughs> off yet. It's <laughs> out loud, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm writing um, it down. Yeah, I think something that is quite um, unique about you to me compared to other poets is that you self-publish all of your collections yeah and uh, it's all yeah a big undertaking but I think that you can do a lot more creatively with it I think it's a lot more accessible and I think that it allows you the opportunity to also retain more of your um financial like money from it from publishing as well and so for poets in particular, I think it's a really, really great option. And so I, I love self-publishing and talking about self-publishing. What do you think about a Substack model? The Substack model is great, mm. especially with the downfall of Twitter. And I think that um, I think we'll see it changing. And I don't think that any like form of how you present your poetry is going to be bad. Like I do Patreon, um, mm. that however you can monetize your work, however you can fund your creativity and share your work with the greatest audience, however you're finding that work for you, some people really do better digitally. Some people really like the idea of like being in print. And so I think it's really whatever is really working for you. Yeah, like in, in musicians talk about this change from their music being product to being a service, right? It's kind of like a cynical way mm-hmm. of looking at art, but I mean, d- does that factor in? It's kind of strange to think of the, your poetry as a service, right? It, really... it is, but I tell people like, you know, the average first time poetry book sells 26 copies. So if you want to be a full-time author or even like a part-time author and make 
substantial or decent money from it, you do have to market yourself like a service or buy mm. other services like us. That's that's about what I've sold so far, <laughs> actually. Yeah. yeah, about that, I think. Um, I printed 50 copies for my first print, and I think I've sold about half of that. Yeah. And But yeah, I published it in November, so I'm not that's worried, important. you know. Honestly. There you go. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about you. You're like this really established poet and I'm, I just want to go back to like kind of the roots like how you started poetry how you how did you stumble upon poetry maybe yeah I've always loved writing I went to a Montessori school I don't know if you guys have those in the UK but um it's very much where like they allow and I didn't go to the school for very long I went to traditional public school by by middle school but our middle grades but um I really always gravitated. They allowed you to kind of gravitate towards what you liked. And I always gravitated towards writing and English. And I was really into current events and fiction writing and things like that. But I went to a camp in New York for a few weeks with a magazine and I fell head over heels for poetry. And I was 14. (laughs) Um, And I never looked back. I started doing spoken word when I was 15 or 16, and that is really what propelled me fully into the poetry community, I think. Um, I I stepped away for a little bit in college, but um, quickly found my way back to it, especially during the pandemic, I think, allowed us all to kind of explore different parts of ourselves again. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's really young to start uh, to go to spoken word events. I don't think I know any teenager going to spoken word stuff. <laughs> in New York? Um, the spoken word events? I went to spoken word events locally in Greensboro, North Carolina at first. And then oh, wow, yeah. for Brave New Voices for my local team. And Brave New Voices is an international festival and competition. And um, I traveled to Atlanta for that one. Um, I've been as far as Alabama um for poetry i think and um yeah but i did do the camp was in new york so i did get to go to new york for some poetry related things it wasn't spoken word Mm. um i have what's the what Mm -hmm. what's the alabama poetry scene like um it's really cool it's it's very i think that people think the south is very um racist and there's definitely a lot of racism in the south but there's racism everywhere in america but it has a lot of culture like a lot of soul a lot of black people are from the south and so it's a very diverse scene and i think that you actually lack a lot of that in the midwest and up north you actually lack more diversity than in the south which is surprising to many people yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that the Alabama scene is one of the more diverse scenes I've been to, which again surprises people. And um, it's it's very soulful. It's very um, historical because there's a lot there about uh, slavery and about um, Birmingham it has a lot of history with that kind of thing. And so um, it's it's very informative, historical, soulful, cultural. So. Are there any topics that poets touch on there that, you know, might be different from other places? 
Yeah, um, definitely a lot of uh, racial poetry, but there's also a lot of nature poetry. Alabama is surprisingly beautiful mm-hmm. um, from there, but it's actually like surprisingly. <laughs> there's a lot of nature poetry from Alabama. Um, Atlanta also has a lot of um, racially uh, motivated poetry. It also has a lot of um, city urban poetry and about like urban cityscape versus that natural um like Alabama's more like naturistic poetry um around where I'm from in North Carolina it's kind of a nice mix we have a lot of nature we have a lot of like urban uh cityscapes so it's kind of a mix of both and I think that here a lot more of the topics are social justice a lot of um, lgbtq plus a lot of about education um we also have a lot of history about segregation and things like that so here also talks a lot about um different racial topics so north carolina is also surprisingly like very um progressive in its poetry scene at least Mm. vibrant yeah cool um is the unless there's something you want to ask Eloise, um I'd really like to hear some poetry. Yeah. Yeah, like um did you you prepare some poetry for the show or I did. I did. I brought a couple of pieces. Um I brought uh two pieces from allergy. So mm. And it's a, yeah, like just I was going to say earlier, it's a it's a really big collection as well, isn't it? Really large collection. So how many poems do you have in in that collection? About 140. Yeah, Mm. wow. And how long did it take you to write that many poems? Well, so I've written uh, four collections over the last two and a half years or so, but they Mm. have poems as far back as 2015. Um, So over the last seven, eight years. um, But most of the poems, I will say, are from the last two years or so. So, and I'm always working on, um, side note before I read, I'm always working on like four projects at once because I'm very ADHD. (laughs) And so usually it's poems over two years. Um, But again, I'm working on like four projects at once. So they kind of overlap at times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which one do you want to read? This one is called um, Places I Have Unexpectedly Found Joy. Mm. In clocks constantly moving me further from my trauma. In worm castings coating my hands. In scrubbing clean last year's pots. In wiping down my limbs. In my brain. In the barely lit corner of my church parking lot. Huddled over a pipe in my back seat. At the top of the stairs at the funeral home. In a musty room with an ornate casket. In my mom's waxy complexion, jagged hairdo she would have despised. In cleansing my hands. In knowing worm food is not capable of abuse. Mm, Really nice. You have a lot of um, poem lists in your collection that kind of, um, I guess, scattered around the collection. Just a little list of stuff. Yeah. I've been very into list poems lately. I think that um, 
Seneca Vistalo and April Renee on Instagram both have been really big inspirations of mine over the last year or two. Um, and they write a lot of really great prose poetry. And I just started like looking around at my life and being like, you know, here's a list, here's a list, like everywhere, like little things kind of collected in my mind of like, you know, this all represents love to me, or this all represents growth, or this all represents like moving on or Mm. beginnings and different things like that. Hello, Lulu here. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I have an exciting announcement to make before you can continue listening. Projecture is is now sponsored by Benki Publishing. Benki Publishing is an indie micro-publisher that champions neurodiverse artists and writers from other marginalized groups. So you can get a 10% discount on all books with the code poetry to your ears 10 This code doesn't apply to zines, but it covers all books on their website, which is www bentkeypublishing.co.uk The code and the website link will be written in the episode description. We hope you find a poetry book you like and tell us on social media if you purchase one. Now, back to our conversation. Mm, I see that a lot in zines, you know, um, little, <laughs> little like handmade zines that people do as like lists of stuff, but I find it kind of original and nice to see them in just in, in a poem, really. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, do you want to tell um, our listeners what Allergies is about? Yeah, Allergies is all about like grief and love. Um, I had a loss in 2020, as I'm sure many of us have experienced. I mean, every day, all the days, but. Um, uh, had a particular loss at the beginning of 2020 that um, was actually my first love. And it, you know, hits you hard. You're like, ooh, you know, you're in a happy relationship and, and you're, you know, moving forward in your life. But you're like, oh, man, that that hits. That hits that nostalgic part of me, that really young part of me. And it kind of echoed into other losses of my life, you know, other griefs that I had experienced. And I, and I started thinking about, like, what grief meant and how it was impacting my relationship and my relationships with others, my friends, my family. And I really looked to what grief had taught me about love at that point, Um, Mm -hmm. about how to love, how to put yourself out there, um, what kinds of love I really wanted, you know, versus what kinds I wanted to leave behind with that grief. And so the the book is really about like how to cope with loss, looking back at loss, what our relationships in our past can teach us about love and how they can inform our relationships in the future. And what is the allergy metaphor that in in this process of grief and love? I grew up with a lot of grief and loss um, and uh, I lost my mom when I was 16, but that wasn't the first um, of losses. And I always felt really different and really, I didn't understand why I was moving through the world differently than other people with that like pressure and that grief and that loss. And I always thought that like, maybe I was allergic to different things, like different people and 
I realized as I got older that, and especially through the pandemic, as we were all going through grief, I think that we're all kind of allergic to ongoing grief was the idea. Mm. And us mm. react well, like we all break out in emotional hives <laughs> when it comes to when you said uh, we were all going through grief in the pandemic, you mean grief for what, our freedom or our grief for grief for friends? People. Yeah, grief for the relationship, grief for, um, I think in the disabled community, we go through a lot of grief still about like normalcy and like we, a lot of us still don't have our normal life back. A lot of us have lost people through the pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of death and not just because of the pandemic, like because of the illness, but also just in the repercussions of the illness and in addiction rise and suicide rise, homelessness and things like that. You know, we've all through one way or another, we've lost housing, we've lost jobs, like all of us have lost something in the last two and a half, three years, I think. Um, And so I think a lot of people are more intimately understanding grief than ever before. I think it's always been an isolated feeling incident, like a lonely thing and a thing Mm. can't all connect. But now we're all going through this grief at the same time and have this great collective trauma. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, it is. And I think we're seeing how none of us react well to three years of like ongoing. Beef, you know mm. i think in a way if you relate this collection to the pandemic it's kind of a nice timing because it's been now three years and some of the life is moving on some of the life isn't really or some of the life is lost from the past and we can start processing that right yeah. it's like we're only just starting to process all of these events that happened and i feel like for two years we're just in the middle of everything and you can't even reflect and understand. And how- yeah, it. Ooh, go ahead. Yeah, it's just like it was just a surreal state of affairs, right? And every every day, some new measure came out, and it was just kind of like, okay, I guess, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's like carry on. And it's like, how do we want to move forward from here in a more loving way? And and how do we want this grief of the last two or three years to inform? how we move on as a society um, and and how we really mitigate not just pan- the pandemic and future pandemics, um, but also how we mitigate child hunger, how we mitigate, you know, grief and how, it, how we mitigate workplace as we all go through grief. Like, should we have more yeah. time? Should we have more maternity and paternity leave? Um, and, and in America, especially with a lot of those things, as we don't have a lot of, as many of the maternity, we don't have any. Maternity. Yeah. It's not like the paradise of France. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, there's been a lot of strikes in France and oh, yeah. in the UK about public services so you know it's always an ongoing subject ongoing and always all right yeah and and there's still hardships everywhere you know and there's Mm. move forward better so it's like how do we part the more personal part of the collection is like how do we how do i move forward in relationships and and let my past inform my Mm. better and love better but also on that broader scale how do we let this past inform us moving forward and to love each other better and create like a more loving world yeah, I and think, the f- yeah. The first, so. yeah sorry go ahead Eloise. no you go 
The um, yeah, the first poem in the collection is called Allergens, and it speaks about what you talk about, which you feel like you were kind of almost from birth, kind of inherently allergic to existence or the world or you know and the you use a great metaphor of the milk right like rather than having natural milk you're on powdered milk from the start yeah and Mm. you kind of see that as symbolic towards your relationship to the world yeah precisely and and it's it's like i feel like i've always grown up with it with grief and i think that was a very unique position I was put in with the pandemic I don't think all of us are innately aware of grief from like inception and things like that but Mm. kind of I just felt like it was a time that I was able to be like okay a lot of people are grieving right now what can I do how can I throw my gauntlet in there and like explain Mm. what I've learned over you know 24 years of grief yeah but so but you had to go right back to the beginning I mean literally when before you were born yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i really like this kind of ongoing theme about your relationship with your mother and the different feelings you have towards her you know there's a poem in the beginning where you're feeling a lot of love towards her and sadness that she just died um and then f- further on in the collection there's kind of maybe like resentment about uh, how you grew up and the abuse that you went through and it's just a very complex relationship and you find that I find that you managed to tell that in a very nuanced way um, yeah. because they are complex relationships you know that it's not just one overwhelming feeling yeah. and it evolves through time I really like thank it. you I really appreciate that that was something I was honestly really nervous to talk about and I think that Honestly, Jeanette McCurdy's book, um, I'm Glad My Mom Died, coming out around the same time was like very mm. cosmic and stuff. But <laughs> have you read have you read that book? It's fantastic. If you haven't read it, it's... Is it? No, I haven't read what it. The, so <laughs> what, what's it about then? I mean, um, <laughs> other than the obvious. It's about that same nuance um, about her child stardom. She was a Sam Pocket in iCarly, which was a popular year. And, um, it's just about her child stardom and her mom's pressure on her um, and her eating disorder that developed from that and those kind of things. And then the freedom she felt from her mom passing and like the ability for her to go into recovery and things like that, that she hadn't felt before. And, and I think it's really important that we talk about that nuance, especially as we're all going through more grief and as more people are losing people to different things. Um, in a variety of things but um yeah that grief is really nuanced and no one really understood that as I was going through it which I can't blame them we were all it's like I was 16 my friends were 16 so I, I but that there is a nuance with a lot of grief um there's the loss of hope that the relationship will change or get better or that you'll have that like life-changing conversation with somebody um, there's yeah. things, but there's also moving on and like looking back at things with that new lens of adulthood and being like, oh, that wasn't okay or different things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to talk about that nuance because we're allowed to have complex feelings about our grief, no matter like what we went through with that person, no matter how dramatic it was. We're allowed to have nuanced feelings just because someone is gone doesn't mean you're not allowed to have like 
some negative emotions about that person. And I think so often we want to like sugarcoat it all. That's mm. a great point. That's such a great point. Yeah. We, we, you know, when someone passes, it's like we make them into a legend, right? We make them into, uh, you know, it's like people don't want to hear bad things about the, the deceased, the past. And it's true. They were human beings and they had faults and flaws and things that still haunt us almost as well sometimes, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think it's powerful and useful to talk about those negative aspects of relationships with people that have passed as well. You have to like ex- you have to process all of it. You can't just process the good. Mm. Um, and it's not gonna. You're not gonna really heal if you just process part of it. Mm. Yeah, something that that strikes me as well is how it all takes place at home. You know, I feel like it's a it's a collection about home, and maybe that's just because you spend a lot of time at home being disabled so it it just happens like that there's a poem as well that says um how you you feel it you're wondering if you're going to lose inspiration of describing the world from your couch and you say i don't think so i think i always find something to write about i really like that Mm. and um so i chose a poem for today uh and surprise surprise it's uh, a dozen ways to call the poet And uh, it's that's one about love. What's that? A dozen um, ways to court a poet. Court, yeah, because uh, it like has date, one of my favorite. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. It has where, one of my is... favorite lines ever of poetry. I'll tell it later. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> yeah, High I praise. really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> favorite lines ever of poetry. And wow. I have to write it somewhere, you know, mm. on the wall or something. <laughs> yeah. From this excessive blush, thank you. <laughs> It's okay. The light doesn't show okay, that. Okay, we can't. It, we so. can't wait now, Eloise. Yeah. Um. So, do you want to read the poem, or do you want me to read the poem? I'd love to hear you read it, honestly. Okay. A dozen ways to court a poet. Be sloppy, making a mess in the kitchen by kissing me in the middle of dinner prep. Food left to spoil on the counter in our rush to the bedroom. Make me laugh and memorize them all. The boisterous, the snicker, the snort, the horse. Be prepared to give all of your forgiveness away. Because I am constantly losing my head, even as it's resting against your chest. Promise me you'll always help me find the things I'm missing. Make love to me gently. Fuck me hard, but still. Tell me you think I'm beautiful. I have spent all day wrapped up in the ugliest parts of myself. Smudges and grudges accumulate over 15 years, and I fear I will never be done scrubbing my subconscious. Make, ti- make time for me to cry all the time. I'm tired of begging people to love me feeling like I have to earn the right to exist when I never asked for any of this. I'm tired of teaching people how to love me. All it takes is a soft touch of your hand, hushed tones and lighter footsteps. I don't need eggshells, but I do require peace. I'm tired of asking for things. Truth be told, I have no idea what I need. I love me more than I know. Sorry. You love me more than I know how to accept. I just need constant reminders. 
it's such a beautiful poem to me. So my favorite line is, um, I have spent all day wrapped up in the ugliest parts of myself. I just, I just like that you're embracing the ugly parts of yourself. I feel like that's something, and the idea of a hug, you know, and and just kind of shielding, being wrapped up like with clothes or layers. There's something really kind of comforting, and and I feel like in the process of of healing grief, you have to spend time. <laughs> In in areas that are, are not really comfortable, and finding comfort in these areas that aren't comfortable, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like it's a it's an idea that's really hard to express, and this line just just explains it. I don't have to add anything. I really. That's what poetry is about. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's about it's about like uh, expressing an emotion, right? Like. Mm. And you you know doing it in a novel way as well and just really giving voice to a feeling that doesn't have language attached to it and obviously Eloise there has attached you know she's really recognized she's recognized that feeling in that language that you've so elegantly put together and yeah I mean I added kind of my own experience to your and to what you're trying to say and I think that's that's this dialogue of poetry that is constantly happening I was gonna say that I was gonna say that's exactly what I want poetry to do like I want to feel seen but then I want you to feel seen that makes sense and I feel most seen in my work when somebody else sees themselves if that Mm. um and so I think one of those beautiful things is to put really specific things in there that then somehow relates to somebody else's specific memories. You know what I mean? Um, that idea that like you completely understand that like desire to be wrapped up in a warm blanket because you've been wrapped up in the ugly parts of yourself. And the idea of like, you know, watching cartoons on a Saturday morning representing love to somebody else. Like I've had people relate to that little kind of line before and, and just those like little moments that then other people can find themselves. in. I think that's the beauty of poetry and that's, that's the validation of poetry. Mm, Be really specific. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I love specific poetry. (laughs) Yeah. I just like the, the details of your routine that you that you're putting in there you know the there's a couple times like the grind of the coffee on saturday morning i really like that because i can smell it i really like sensory poetry when you can smell it you can feel it you can touch it Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely i understand i'm trying to like that's one thing i'm pushing myself with is like to be less like big picture and more zooming in on those little moments because I think those are yeah those sensory moments when you can describe the senses that really puts somebody in that spot do you it's interesting it kind of raises a question to me about kind of being really open in your poetry you know confessional uh, as opposed to almost like hiding secrets in your poetry or being cryptic in your poetry, right? So I think some people, Mm. some poets we've even had on the podcast kind of write poetry that's almost like a little bit more secret. There's almost like hidden meanings there and there's, you know, there's secrets they don't explicitly even want to discuss in like an interview, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, How how do you feel about that? Like having secrets in your poetry 
I think there's like always room for every kind of poetry. So I don't want to be like mm. wrong because I'm like, oh, that's, mm. wow, that's exactly what they're going for. And I think sometimes I incorporate that occasionally, you know, like that, that double language and that double meaning and like, can somebody derive what I really mean? Or there's, there's one poem in here that it totally sounds like a sexual poem. And it totally sounds like I'm, I'm going into this guy's bedroom and like taking off my clothes. He's gay. He's my gay friend. And so there is like kind of a secret meaning in there. And it is what that from it for me it was this moment but for somebody else it might be that sexual moment um Mm. and and so i think there's there's definitely a place for that i think that even within that you can get really specific i think are you are you comfortable in your writing of kind of letting people not have all the answers are you comfortable with people you know not getting the poem Yes and no. Like, I think that so much of me, like, wants, I think that I'm growing more okay with that. I think I used to be like, oh, I've got to tell the backstory for this poem. They have to understand it. They have to get that and the other. <laughs> now I'm at that place where I was saying, like, oh, you seeing yourself in the poem makes me feel mm-hmm. what I as long as you see yourself. And I think that's, like, kind of some growth I've had in the past like, year or so. I mean, I'd, even if your poetry is really specific, I'd definitely feel some, like some poems. I'm like, okay, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I don't know this. The, I don't know the situation. I can just make it up and see what it makes me feel. But I will never have the images that you have yeah. when you're writing about that memory. Exactly. Yeah. And and so that's that beauty of like, yeah, somebody else seeing their own. And I think that's that's something that's really changed for me recently is allowing other people to just kind of take what they want from a piece. Mm. Sorry, I'm, I've just been so moved by this conversation. <laughs> I don't know how to just change this subject. <laughs> it's a heavy book sometimes so. <laughs> yeah i well i wanted to ask you about the the structure of the book because <clears throat> we've, we've spoken on the podcast to heather who's laid out her poetry collection in seasons as well so your mm. your collection here is is laid out in seasons and you start with winter mm-hmm. and end end on autumn yes um so what what's the significance of seasons for your collection so I was thinking... Why did you choose to arrange it like that? Yeah, I was thinking about the idea of allergies and and how we all, like, have different allergies at different seasons and <laughs> go through those things. And then I was thinking about, like, the seasons of grief and, and how mm. I lost my mom on Christmas Eve. So it was, like, the dead of winter or, like, the beginning of winter, really. It was, like, right after the winter solstice. And so I was thinking about, like, you know, the days getting longer and things like that and it being winter and and how grief really to me was winter because of that and was that cold time and then how you know love was new growth and spring and these things but then like lust was summer and the mistakes i made in grief was hot and sweaty and confusing and colorful and vibrant and like that was the memories of mistakes for me 
and kind of once all of those mistakes, you kind of get through that really messy period of grief and you make all those mistakes. It, for me, really felt like everything kind of settled into place, like those fall leaves. Yeah, there is something about autumn that is acceptance, isn't there? Like autumn is a kind of (laughs) a time when you're kind of like, okay. Mm. everything <laughs> yeah we keep talking about autumn in the in the mm. podcast and how it's well i learned in school that autumn was the season of poets it's it's the it is the predefined season for poets because it talks about kind of death mm. death of nature um yeah but i just like to see how you know every poet or different poets see the seasons like what they what it means to them yeah and i can see how autumn would be death and i think that honestly going into that which i hadn't even planned this but uh i hadn't even planned this but going into that like you can be accepting of death you know like that final chapter like even if autumn were to represent death to somebody like even as the final chapter, like you're going to go through another loss, you know, you're going to have another winter, you're going to have another loss, but all of the seasons you've been through in the past bring you to that spot and like have helped you accept more. And so when you get to that next autumn, that next death, that next loss, like you really are prepared and, and you're able to kind of clean up the pieces, you're able to rake the leaves of the loss and, you know, kind of prepare for the really long winter of that loss. And you're able to do that a lot better than you were that first winter. Mm. And you found, you found comfort in your home, you know, that's how, that's how I feel like this is about, I feel like it's finding my next collection comfort more focused on home. So it's so interesting. You you know, I was talking about how I'm always like working on multiple collections. And I think that, yeah, this time period in my life is just very much like making my home. And so it's really interesting that you got that, like that reflected in my poetry, because I really feel like the past few years of my life and the next couple years of my life are really about like homemaking. Mm. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the seeds in this collection for the next one. <laughs> yeah, what are the three other subjects then for the projects? <laughs> yeah, I have a project on home. I have a project on depression and self-love. I have a project on heartbreak and about fall- and another one on falling in love. Hmm. And how do you keep finding inspiration without feeling the pressure to write about specific subjects? I think that's part of why I write so many collections is so that I don't feel like I have to keep grinding on a topic that I'm not inspired on on that minute. Like, okay, I'm not feeling writing about home right now. I want to write about love. Let me go. And then sometimes they overlap, like home relates to love. There are love poems in the book about home, obviously. But... And, and different styles, like different books will kind of have like, like this book had a lot more list poems, as you were noting. So different books will have different styles. So maybe I write a love poem, but its style isn't a different. And I think that's how I kind of avoid that stagnation um, is kind of just working on multiple projects. And then finding inspiration, I think, is all about like, one, paying attention in your everyday life to different little moments and the emotions that they bring up but then also reading a lot 
mm. a lot of public noticing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you really inspired me to write some list poems. Yes, because I'm always noticing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always noticing stuff, and I think, okay, mm. just this, like uh, the way the sunshine reflects on the building. That's not a poem. I wouldn't describe all of that. Mm. But making a list about all the all the things that I see when I'm walking, yeah. that you know, for example, it would all become poem, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just a different. It's just a way creativity. Yeah, serious <laughs> noticing. Yeah. yeah. So how do we go about observing our everyday life and like mm. all that? in the beauty in it and and whether that's in nature like whatever is your everyday life go look for it so you were saying like a lot of my time is spent at home so a lot of my inspiration are the things that show me love from home or show me the beauty of nature from my window or those mm. kind of things yeah i mean that's that's the tools in you know meditation and mindfulness mm -hmm. about uh, noticing the small things um it's just not always obvious how to translate them into poems or into writing. Like many times I notice something and, and then I just kind of leave it there. And then I think, okay, that could be a poem. And then I feel the pressure to write. And then I think, no, it's just to be enjoyed in this specific moment <laughs> as well. <laughs> not everything has to be productive, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's yeah. this kind of intersection between, like, yeah, the pressure of productivity and the pressure mm. of creation. Well, that's the tr that's know? the crisis with <laughs> like photography and iPhones, right? Yeah. Smartphones, where it's like you're out and you're enjoying a beautiful view and then it's like you feel the need to capture it right you feel the need to capture that mm. moment yeah it's like creation not vain too it's like if you're creating content are you like experiencing i i often I'm, I'm supposed to be a content creator but then i often forget because i do get wrapped up in the nature of it all or the beauty of it all or the the family of it all or whatever i'm doing and, mm. But for poetry, I think it's one looking back on those observations you've had um, mm. and things like that. But also to not feel the pressure of what I do is I often just like write down one sentence and I have it in my ideas. And then I sit down and I spend like 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, like writing. And so I go through wow. and I say, okay, yeah. prompt, is it a couple of lines? Is it like, what is it going to, where am I going to start? And so sometimes it is a line I wrote down on my walk, but that I didn't want to flesh out a whole poem while I'm trying to enjoy my walk. Um, mm. And then the other thing is I keep my, writing and my work very separate which it sounds crazy because my writing is my work but I keep my work folder with all my Instagram captions and my different due dates on things and ideas of essays I need to write for work all in one folder and then I keep my poetry in a whole nother section of my phone I'm like mm. far away so that it doesn't feel like work like that is my art putting it into a book yeah putting it onto the internet, that's my work. But creating is for me and creating is for the art itself. Mm. You keep it pure I in really your mind. Like, yeah, I really like this distinction because it, it's not obvious how to know, to market yourself as an artist without losing that artistry. And I did for a minute, I think. I, 
I talked about on my story the other day, like, oh, enjoy the micro poems while they last. I think I got really caught up in micro poetry from the internet. And I'm not saying micro poetry doesn't have like really strong things. And I, I'm not going to like completely abandon micro poetry. I'm still writing micro poetry. I'm Rupi Cow. But I'm <laughs> shout out Rupi Cow. Yeah, I'm kind of like moving away from it because I really feel like I got caught up in that like marketing aspect of it for those mm. in particular. Mm. And I'm like, oh man, I could market just one line from a poem. It doesn't have to be right. A poem. Mm. Yeah, I really like what you started doing about you have longer poems and then you take just a little bit and that's a post. Yeah. And then you can explore this. That, I, thought you, like, I thought you were saying the opposite of that, though, Maggie. I, You're saying that you got too caught up in it? I got too caught up in writing micro poetry for a while. And then now I'm starting to drift back towards like writing longer form pieces almost exclusively. And then I'm going to start sharing. If, if I feel like sharing a micro piece, I'll just take a line from it. You know, Mm. I can still do that and market that way without letting the idea of marketing and micro poetry being marketable invade all of my art. Mm. Yeah, not to shame on all micro poetry again. Like I've written my I write micro poetry and I read micro poetry like it's not all bad i just got really too caught up in it personally for a moment Mm. yeah you just want to explore different forms of writing uh and not worry about how they're going to be marketable i think that's that's the idea behind it right and i think that's a lot of what art is is just creating for the kind of and not worry about the rules Mm. just to say something or to just for the sake of creating as well and just for yourself and I think that's something that I'm trying to learn as well is just doing it for myself and not worry about are people going to understand this mm-hmm. are hard, people though. going to like it it's hard it's really hard yeah I try and the way I see it is I try and like when I'm writing imagine that no one will ever read that poem like okay this doesn't have to be one I publish you know this could go in my yeah <laughs> mm. self-deception yeah <laughs> it works so well yeah exactly. we do that we we do that for our chores as well, right? We're like, if I just I just do a little bit of this chore and just a little bit and then you get sucked into it and then you end up doing the whole chore and it's like you trick yourself. So yeah. You... But it works. It works. It really does. <laughs> I'm honest because of that. Um, I'm not worried. Hmm. Oh gosh, is the like subject of this poem gonna read it and it's gonna be like, Oh gosh, you wrote a poem uh, Like I'm not thinking about that. Am I thinking about like, oh, what are the insights gonna be on this poem? No, I'm just thinking about the poem and that made me write the poem. Mm. Do you wanna read us another poem that you picked? I would love to. Um, this is another list poem. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so a non-exhaustive list of things I would miss without you. Talking on the phone every night during your meal break. Someone to always refill my water. Someone I'm not afraid to ask for anything. The shape of your smile, a curly bracket. How your lips are constantly, gently upon me. The way the cats run to the door when they hear your car pull into the driveway. Someone who laughs and my dad cracks in putrid puns. 
someone who lets me in on the joke instead of making one out of me. Learning all of the scientific names for each plant as we pass them in the arboretum. Sticky note lists on the fridge under the keyboard, buried in the vase above the desk and stuck to every notebook. Falling asleep on the futon on Fridays with the sound of clacking keys and gamers speak fading out behind me. Saturday mornings at the markets, on the rare occasion we are both up and moving by nine. Driving you to the store on Sunday because I can't stand being apart an extra hour, and I'd rather spend my morning grabbing more coffee while you gather our groceries. The sound of your breathing deepening, slowly slipping into snores, the comfort of knowing you're there without having to peek through my eyelashes. The sound of coffee being ground for me in the morning. Beautiful. You're a master of intimacy. Thank you. <laughs> Describing intimacy, I should say. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you're a master of intimacy as well. But, uh, <laughs> but this, this, it's really beautiful. This really leads me on to my favorite of your poems, which oh. is, uh, which is. Um, Good morning. And I think this is kind of a challenging poem for you. That was the one I wrote, wrote in 2015. So I was wow. 17 when I wrote that poem. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think you have to read it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll grab it. I'll grab it. Um, I cannot keep please. the tension. <laughs> I, that was my... I wrote that poem and I was super nervous to put it in this collection, but... I actually had not seen this poem since 2015, and I wrote it about the person I lost in 2020. Um, and mm. So I had written this poem in 2020, uh, another poem about this person, and I was like, you know what, this poem sounds or feels really familiar. And so as I'm putting this collection together, I was like, oh, this poem reminds me of that lost poem. And I was devastated. And I took two weeks looking for this poem, searching everywhere I could. And they mirrored each other almost perfectly. Like they had two lines that just like, basically in this poem, I talk about like what he was afraid of losing his life to. And then I, in the next poem, like I'm able to kind of confirm he lost his life that way. And it was just like these beautiful poignant mirror images that I'd written like seven years apart and mm. that I hadn't read this other poem in so long and so this poem I was like you know what I'm embarrassed I'm almost embarrassed to put it in here but like because it's it's seven years old eight years old but I'm gonna do it because it matches and I, now I'm really glad I did because you liked it. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so, it's so, quite impressive how sometimes like the lines in poetry can make sense of your life and they just stay in your brain and they just pop out when they need to so the so the the guy in this poem passed away in 2020 yeah oh so um, this is kind of, this is this book is half for him. So yeah, yeah. This is called Good Morning, but it's morning as in M O R I G. It was not cold muffins, crumbs left on my breakfast bar. It was not cold bed sheets after he left me sleeping. It was nothing. We were nothing. It was not cold muffins because he didn't stay for breakfast, and neither did my appetite. It was not cold sheets because we spent less than 10 minutes buried in them. It is cold hands clutched around phone screens. 
because the ability to reveal everything has become easier digitally. I thought it was just sex to me. This was supposed to be parents aren't home and fun with camera phones. I was under the impression that he agreed with me, but I am colder than I once was. Quickly, the occasional quickie turned into two-hour layovers where I laid over his chest, invested in the ways he had broken bones and cracked his heart. We sat for hours, passing each other the smallest bits of ourselves. In between elbow banging, he told me he was scared of liver failure and all the ways he failed his mother. I gave him all the parts my father had abandoned, tied together with all my insecurities, the shape of my pinky toes, and the way I talk too loudly. We gave each other everything. We were still nothing. He doesn't like baked goods. The bedsheets are no longer cold. I thought that he knew that this was just sex, but now I'm getting seven texts and three phone calls waking me up. My groggy voice answering, hello? He was upset. My ears still stuffed with cotton balls and dreams heard only silence. It is 12.06 on June 3rd, and the clock won't stop reminding him she overdosed three years ago today. He blames himself. She was his first love. First to make love, to break love. I am realizing that sleeping in beds makes them warmer. We began sleeping closer. He warned me that he was the plot twist in her downward spiral. I tried to tell him people hit rock bottom even when they're not pushed. It was never just sex. As we laid in bed, our shaking hands reached for frigid sheets to cover vacant bodies. He'd forgotten how to love, and I had forgotten it was never me he was reaching for. I forgot to care. I wish it was still just sex, the same way I wish I had burnt those muffins and wish we'd never even made it to the bed. Maybe then we wouldn't remember how cold these sheets used to be. It was nothing. I wish we weren't still nothing. It is the morning after, snuggling into icy beds with no one next to me and waking up too tired to bake muffins. He is still morning. I am still waiting. That's really powerful. And it's incredible you wrote that when you were 17. Thanks. It really has, it really, I think it really has a great, you know, maturity to it. It's, and just the, just the feelings you evoke with your descriptions of intimacy, you know, kind of freezing sheets and your, your really clever wordplay. You know, <laughs> Thanks. Quickly, quickly, quickies. That's <laughs> quickly, how quickies <laughs> Okay, that was honestly worth putting it in the book. Was just I was like the mm. old quickie that turned. Ah! So, <laughs> um, my friend actually gave me that title too. Um, gave me my birthday present was he always started poems with the title, and I always ended writing poems with the title. And he was like mm. writing from the title first, and so he gave me that title for my birthday. He was like, "Here's a title, try." <laughs> Oh, such a nice a birthday gift, gift. Right. Yeah. yeah so wow gifting a title i know poets right like a like a royalty i know yeah i, I have a friend who made a song that's called good morning as well i like yeah, that, that i like that writing i like the simplicity of the line to make love and break love as well thank you yeah 
there's this i mean there's so much mm-hmm. in there you know there's so many great lines in there and I, I, really, I really think it's it really represents me now looking back like how complex sometimes teenagers like lives are like we think like oh they're just kids and like i want them to just be kids like i'm looking back and i'm like oh gosh like oh <laughs> I'm a normal normal little kid there but um no and yeah you- like all of these emotions they're really they're really complex and and, and- like complex to process for adults yeah. and you don't always have the same tools when you're younger and i thought because it's looking back now i'm like oh gosh like i wish i had like uh, you know the whole cliche like wait till you're older to have sex but it's like you know looking back i'm like gosh like emotions do come with sex often like even if like you know i mean even if you're an adult who's likes casual sex like you mitigate your emotions around it right like you you have sorts mm on sex um and so i think that like i was so naive back then and so like looking back now i think that's one cool thing about poetry is you can kind of it's like a scrapbook of your life you can kind of see how your opinions on things have changed and i think i was starting to realize that even then like you know oh we we thought this was just sex and like it really was emotions (laughs) yeah so now now that we've gone through the poem and kind of we've heard the words from it um, can you talk a little bit about what you meant by, you know, it's almost like, the, you know, since since he passed away, the poem's kind of appreciated in different meaning, right? It's taken on different meanings. It's got different significance to it now, perhaps. Um, the, the anything to you that, that jumps out immediately about that, that has taken on greater meaning? Yeah, I think that it's really that idea of like, being lonely has taken on a new meaning for me and like the idea of what we seek when we're lonely I think I was you know a really lonely kid and I was seeking out love wherever I could and that included sex and and now as an adult I'm differentiating between like what is love what is lust what is bad friendship and bad relationships versus loving friendships and loving relationships and you know what is healthy family dynamics versus chosen family that is healthier including your biological family in many cases um and, and that whole poem kind of took on that significance. And then there's another poem about his passing that I, I say, um, I pretend not to know your brother's middle name or all the ways you assumed you disappointed your mother. And I had written that, you know, seven years later or whatever, without having read this other poem. And I'm like, man, like we sit here and we think like all of these things, like he thought, oh, he disappointed his mother, but I've talked to his mother and he never did, you know? And so it's like those little moments of like oh they didn't talk about that and and the way that brings on new significance to me now and writing about it being able to be like you didn't disappoint your mother and kind of like those childish childhood fears that kind of like linger into adulthood and like how we can kind of squash those and like communicate more yeah Mm. such a healing book (laughs) yeah it's that idea of like what kind of world do from here including our most personal relationships um and a world do we want to build one that has communication and one that has that focuses on love and on you know talking about our emotions talking about you know 
the past and healing from it and not letting things like our fears kind of get in the way between that communication and those leaps of faith and those leaps of love and those leaps of protecting other people and taking care of them. Um, yeah. And the, the last poem in the piece, um, well, it's called good days, good days free. And it ends on a kind of optimistic, hopeful note, like you're striking. Yeah. I, um, right really wanted to I have there's you know three bad day poems and there's or bad night poems and three good day poems and kind of like that Mm. between day and night and um each poem kind of mirrors itself um in structure so if you like look at they all kind of have the same exact structure and just a few lines are changed within those poems all six of them and it really I think showed the transition between like those good moments and those bad and then like the beginnings of those good moments those first good moments aren't that great you know they're they're really like tenuous and like Mm. fragile good and that good that's you know dependent on other people or holding you up and keeping you afloat in those first few good days and things like that and then by the end you can kind of hold yourself up and and those good days are dependent on the things you do um and so i kind of wanted to show that change between like needing support and the being the support for yourself yeah so do you look back on all the the body of work of that time and you know do you kind does it kind of represent to you some kind of a uh, journey that you've been on yeah definitely i've um I, I didn't grow up like in the greatest environment. If you have read the book, you'll understand a little bit more. And um, I blamed myself a lot of that time and I shied away from support. And I think that it showed the need to, and that's the whole idea of like relying on community and like what kind of communities do we want to grow? I want to grow communities that support people when they're going through hardships and hard times. Um, because I had that kind of community, you know what I mean? I didn't always, but at some point in, in my life and in the book that changes, you know, I find supportive community and that really allows me that opportunity to heal. And so over the last few years, um, I really found supportive community, um, towards college and post-college and things like that. As many of us do find ourselves and our footing at, at that mm-hmm. Um, that, that moving to adult life and away from our, our sheltered life or things like that. And so, um, yeah, it really was that journey of like coming into adulthood, realizing my life wasn't normal, realizing like, oh, I can lean on people, find the support, and then eventually like be strong enough to allow other people to lean on me. Shall we conclude on these beautiful lines? On this yeah. positive note. Yeah. Well, I hope that you enjoyed listening to our podcast episode with Maggie Boyer. Um, you can follow them on Instagram and TikTok at Maggie.Write and pre-order their book on their website. And you can um, follow us on Instagram as well and TikTok and Twitter at Poetry to Your Ears. Thank you for listening and uh, have a good yeah. day. And thank you for being on the show, Maggie. Yeah, thank really you for being on the show. wonderful to talk to you about your poetry. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you everyone for listening and thank you for having me. It's been wonderful.
l'autre côté de la rue, l'homme les observe. De droit, de Thank you for listening to Poetry to Your Ears. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack. All of our content is published for free, but if you would like to support our work, you can become a paid subscriber. This will help us afford transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing community and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it. You can also support us for free by rating the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Share the show with your friends, fellow poets and poetry lovers. If you want to interact with us, you can follow us on at poetry to your ears on Instagram and at poetry to number two your ears on Twitter. Or you can also write a comment on Substack. If you're American and you're listening to us, send us a message. Half of our listeners are American. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time.